0: Welcome aboard
1: the battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. and thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Well, uh, I'm a little rusty. Yeah. We haven't done one of these. We took a little break. Yeah. The listeners might, uh, the astute listeners might notice there wasn't an episode on Sunday. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Sunday. Thank um, you. Uh, it's going up on Tuesday instead because we have a very exciting guest, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. Uh, and this is when we we could work it out. But uh, um, how are you? How am I? I'm, yeah. I'm fine. Okay. If it's any business
0: of yours, which it is not. All right. So we'll move on. We've got some announcements because we want to get to our guests. We've got some announcements. uh,
1: Is this about tweakedaudio.com? No, but uh, go ahead. Do you know about tweakedaudio.com? I've heard of it. Uh, Tweakedaudio.com, that's T-W-E-A-K-E-D-audio.com, is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. Very stylish styles and sharp Colors that will reach out and grab you. Uh, Abracadabra, (laughs) reach out and grab you. Uh, Those are earbuds at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. And because you know us, because you're cool with us, if you go to com slash pretension, you get all those things I just talked about. Professional quality earbuds, variety of styles and colors, low, low price, with one third off, and you don't have to pay any shipping charges. So that's com slash pretension. All right, now. Uh, We also have uh, another sponsor,
0: once again, Travis Betts, writer and director of uh, Independent Horror Films. He's written a a letter to you, the listener, that I'm just going to read. And boy, this uh, works out well. uh, Because, all right, I'm just going to start. From now on, I am Travis Betts.
1: Tyler just did the thing where he looked down... And then yeah, he ran right. his palm over his face <laughs> <laughs> And now uh, Travis Betts Okay,
0: hey everyone, hope I'm coming through nice and clear on your tweaked audio earbuds This is filmmaker Travis Betts back again to plug my movies and stuff I can only assume every single one of you rushed out after last week's ad To watch my supernatural musical, The Dead Inside If not, please do It's available for rent on iTunes and purchase on iTunes and Amazon.com This time, I thought I'd peel back another layer of this onion I call me and tell you about another great October movie. It's called Lo. That's L-O. Lo is a horror love story about a sad sack of a guy named Justin who has to man up when his girlfriend, April, is suddenly kidnapped by demons. He uses an ancient book he finds amongst her things. Sorry. Using an ancient book he finds amongst her things, Justin summons the demon Lo to be his guide through hell as he searches for her. But Lo has other plans for this delicious loser. (laughs) Cult- <laughs> That's fun to say. Uh, Cult Film News calls it a diabolical version of my dinner with Andre. Oh my! Okay, and Rogue Cinema called it bare storytelling at its finest. Don't believe them? Grab a copy of Lowe and find out for yourself. Lowe is available at Amazon.com. You can check out all my work: feature film, short film, paper shorts, and bad poetry on my website travisbetz.com. That's B-E-T-Z dot com. Paper shorts, by Bartley, the way, do you have a
1: clarification for yes. those who listened to last week of what paper shorts are. They are not. Shorts uh, short made, pants out yeah. <laughs> made out of paper. yeah, made out of paper. Yeah. Or any sort of garment at all.
0: Yeah. In fact, they're quite astounding. Go yeah. to travisbetts.com and check and click on paper shorts, and you'll see that basically they are uh, – the the one that I watched, he basically recreated the entire trailer for Prometheus – uh, out of paper uh, and paper figures and di- like dioramas and stuff in a very South Parkian kind of way. And it was uh, quite delightful. So Travis is doing some good work over there. Uh, so yeah, check out low I watched the trailer for that, and it looks pretty, uh, pretty creepy, to be honest with you. Uh, I will now move on and talk about uh, announcements, as we've been talking about The last few weeks, uh, we've been putting together a list of the top 25 horror movies of all time, Uh, listener generated. Listener generated, Uh, but we got such interesting picks and in such an interesting quantity. Voting has closed. Voting is closed. That's over. There's nothing you can do now.
1: But the announcement.
0: But the announcement is that we've actually we expanded that to a top 50. Yeah. Uh, And so over the last few days, we've been revealing the top 50. Five uh, at a time. Five at a time. Although now. Uh, we're once now we're in the in the home not the home stretch, but the uh, we're going to be talking about twenty five through one, and those will be revealed three per day. Each one of those will have a specific blurb uh, about it.
1: I'm doing some math in my head. Twenty five is not divisible by three and uh, that's in whole true. integers. And then uh, on, whole integer is uh, redundant, isn't it? What I don't know.
0: Okay, I went to
1: film school. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, yes, you are, David. I hate to say it, but you're right. Uh, and that is why number one will be revealed on Halloween.
1: Nice. Very well done. I'm very excited about that, and we'll talk about it in more detail mm-hmm. uh, in our on our next episode. So, oh, thank God that's all out of the way. Yes. Because um, I, I can't wait to get to uh, our guest, because we... W- Who
0: seems to think there's something very memorable about uh, this experience and was taking photos of it, it appears. I,
1: I'm assuming they're videos. I was trying, oh, oh, okay. I was trying to...
2: Like, see if I could do like a uh, sort of a three selfie thing with my arm, and it just wasn't really working. I'm sorry. I just saw you guys sort of doing your thing, and I thought, God, it'd be really great <laughs> to
1: just sort of get it, but I couldn't Did do it. it. Yeah, I'm just not that good at it. Um, well, this is a. a- uh, a, a guest now I'll, I'll admit to a little trepidation because tyler and i usually don't book guests that we don't know beforehand mm. um but but um as has happened on occasion before uh a, a publicist reached out reached out to us and so we we, we were ha- we have this guy on the show and he, then he shows up and immediately starts arguing with tyler and me <laughs> about movies and we and we and we felt like we, this is gonna work out like this is gonna yeah. be a great episode
0: yeah i there was a moment where i was like, does it like blackout? And we're in the episode because this feels like we've jumped right in. But yeah, so so David, uh, who do we ha- whom do we have? Well,
1: I thought you would. would oh, okay. We talked
0: about this beforehand. Fair enough. Sorry. Um, but uh, sorry, it sounded like you were really ramping up to something here. Um, yeah, I was we have
1: up to tossing to you. And I'm not 100 percent sure you fumbled. what.
0: The, yeah, I don't know those terms. Uh, once again, film school. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, we have with us. I want to make sure I've got the all the titles right. We've got ri- screenwriter, mm-hmm. and then founder. Would you say founder of uh, the Blue Cat Screenplay Competition? Yes. Uh, his name is Gordy Hoffman. Gordy, thank you so much for sitting through all I'm of our. Thrilled to be here. It's great.
1: Now we talk. Uh, let's talk about. Um your the, the things you've actually written or the or the one that tyler in particular really wants to talk about yes sure uh, which is it which is a movie that is well known among uh people who have taste called love liza no thank um, you i yeah i was a, a big fan i think actually it was when tyler and i lived together i think you saw it in the theater
0: or no i think i you and i watched it together oh, I, it was okay. my first time
1: um so yeah we saw it together and uh it is um i mean i it's that is a great movie that is also not exactly an upper (laughs) but no i also do like it's funny when i think about it i think about stuff that's funny in it um such as the uh the um the one character complaining that his wife keeps taking the bottle opener out of his uh um glove compartment because she doesn't want him drinking and driving
2: (laughs) right 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 yeah it was it was you know it's funny because somebody at my office said um you should write comedy and i was like Have you watched Love Liza? (laughs) And I know that he had watched Love Liza, but he just said sort of forgotten because that there's these moments and they're sort of, you know, very funny in in it, and and I don't, it just stuff just sort of came out, and it's it's funny because I, for a long time, I had this my old Dell hard drive that had a copy of Love Liza on it, a written copy, and over years, I've you know on the on the DVD commentary actually I. I said, anybody who wants a copy of the script, just let me know and I'll and I'll I'll find it. But of course I don't I actually for years did not have an electronic copy of it because <laughs> it was lost on this Dell hard drive that had crashed. And I actually just ordered off of Amazon a floppy, like this cheap little floppy. I found I'd found a floppy of of like one of the last versions of it and I actually opened up like it wasn't even like two weeks ago, like a Word document of the script of love Liza. So I'm actually going to, and, and the font is weird. Like, like the first 40 pages is in courier. And then like the second, like the the rest of it's in times Roman or something like that. So I'm just, I, I thought, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to like make a PDF of it as it is and just like send it up into the, you know, into the internet, because there's so many people that have a, over the years not, you know, a number of people that have said, Can I read love a copy of Love Liza? Because actually the, the script is just a tad different, especially the ending, which I won't ruin for people that have not seen Love Liza yet, but um the ending in the script is a little bit I think is a little bit more um a little bit more uplifting than than the choice that was actually made when they when they, you know, made the movie. But um
1: but, but yeah. you, you won the uh, award at uh, at Sundance in two thousand two, right? Yep. Um, and I
0: will say that uh, at the risk of getting a little uh, maudlin. Um, the film did come out at a rough time in my life. <laughs> my father had just passed away, and uh, and I felt like there were things about. And the the story is about a man who whose wife has passed away, and it's about him dealing with that. And um, and so. Uh, there are certain things that just rang very true to me because, for example, there's a letter that she has written uh, and he refuses to read. And it sounds... Now, of course, from a narrative standpoint, it's like, okay, that gives us something to work towards. But then also, it, it rang very true to me personally because, you know, when someone dies, you realize that they have no more to reveal to you. Everything is in the past. There's nothing in the future. And so to hold on to something, it's like there's still a little bit of mystery with this person. There's something... That she has yet to tell me, and so, um, so it just it rang very true that that the character would hold on to that, and uh, and so it was just a, a film that uh, really at the time uh, meant a great deal to me, and I did find it quite funny at times, but of course the humor also compounded the sadness uh, tremendously. And so yeah, it, I liked it, it quite a
2: bit. It was it, you know it just it was um, truthful, I guess, in the sense that you know even when you're at funerals something sort of funny. Things can happen, and, you know, it just – everybody sort of identifies with that, and, you know, when – you know, it's just something that is – it was a personal film. It wasn't, you know, driven by anything that had actually happened to me, but the fact that I did sort of – whatever I mined in that, in that character, and the sort of journey that he went on, you know, over the years, I've had – I mean, you know, I had people – you know, say like, this isn't even a short film. This is crap. This is nepotism. This is, but then there's people that have very personal associations with, and some people it's their favorite movie. Mm -hmm. And I've had people come up and say, my wife passed away and I'm also a radio control person. (laughs) Uh I mean, you know, (laughs) all the way right down to, you know, so specific and a lot. And my boss also hit on me, you know, and things like certain things that happened and details in the movie that happened and, um, and so, you know, that's, that's what, that's what I, you know, I continue to sort of strive to make movies that reach audiences because of that experience. You can't, you just can't take away the fact that even just now, you know, like, you know, that many years after it's come out, you have people still coming up to me. I mean, I was in Portland at a writer's conference in, in August and, you know, this woman came up to me and started to tell me that, you know, her husband and her had watched the film in the wake of, it was, a, it was accidentally, had watched it with a couple other films that ended up being touchstone films that helped them get over the loss of somebody that was close. And as she's telling me that, you know, the tears come in her eyes and, you know, and this is just, you know, I'm up in Portland outside this hotel and this person's telling me this thing and, And you realize that's really—I mean, you know—that's one of the very special things you 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 make movies for, is because you do, you can, you can do something that you know it does. You you do communicate with an audience in a way that is just so special. And then you know, and then you realize that it's it's, very—it's—it's a very personal film for people, and and it's is valid. Their experience is valid, and and just like when somebody else sort of rejects it and says why doesn't he just you know obviously the device is that she's left this suicide note and he struggles to open it and the movie is sort of this journey of the first couple, really the first chapter of him grieving and and some people are just like just open it you know <laughs> they just don't get oh, it man. whereas people that you know but that's the thing is is that that's just right then in their lives that's their experience right now you know and and it was it was a big I grew up a lot like listening to the audience because I wrote it and I had my relationship to it was a certain way and when I when I started to meet my audience when it came out you know I I sort of stumbled with people because I was flip about it or whatever in a way that, because I was like, oh, I just created that because I was, you know, and I didn't realize that it was personal to people. And then I started, then I started, I mean, it was my mother actually said to me, it's like, you know, you just, you just got to be a little careful when you're talking to people about the movie because, because you've reached people in very <laughs> specific ways, you know, and it could be one thing or the other. And then you, um, you know so yeah it's it's you know it's it has a legacy and it's it's just such a it's such a wonderful thing that you know it is what you strive for and i just feel very lucky that i had that experience because it just it can it it dry it keeps motivating me to continue to make more stories because it does you know there's value there
1: well i uh i always when we have guests on the show i always want to know where they're from but also um did um what did movies mean to you growing up did you know Early on, that you wanted to be a, a screenwriter, or you've also directed. Did you want to?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I consider myself a filmmaker. I mean, at this point, I, I really don't want to write for hire anymore mm-hmm. because it. I realized earlier this year, it occurred to me that really the only time I was ever really. Fighting with anybody like over the last ten years in any kind of like like meltdowny crazy way was when I was collaborating with somebody creatively, <laughs> and I realized it 's like you know what I think I want paul thomas anderson 's job you know right. <laughs> or Tarantino or you know whoever i want I want their job because you know obviously or Woody Allen or whoever they just sort of get that clarity about like i don 't really want you know but i you know I was a latchkey kid you know i didn 't watch a lot of television. And,
1: um, where, where, where did you grow up? Rochester,
2: of New York, which is upstate. It's okay. about, you know, it's close to Canada. It's an hour and a half east of Buffalo and it's, it's way up there. Home of George Eastman house. Actually last week I was up at the George Eastman house when they had the North American premiere of too much Johnson, which is a completely different subject. But, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I was a latchkey kid, so I was outside a lot and did make it into, did make it. It into um, you know went to movies as a kid, but I wasn't. It wasn't um, something that I remember as you know we went often, but I don't think it was anything more than anybody else. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, but when I was twelve, I got a camera uh, and made a. F- I uh-huh, made a movie. I made a movie about a guy who was as, was called The Last Escape and I still have the reels of of you know and I played the prisoner that escaped and and I um wrote directed made it you know cut it we screened it in my garage yeah. for the neighborhood kids and I and I just it was such an unconscious experience. You think back and you go, where did that come from? And that was my impulse, and and I led it. And I had no I had no self-consciousness about, about the fact that I was casting myself and you know, that I was in complete <laughs> control, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't I didn't feel like, you know, that, that was a bad thing or, you know, and it's just funny as you get older, you get all this start getting all this baggage about what, how per, somebody perceives something or anything else. But so very early, like I was before I, before I, I really look at it. It was sort of something that I, happened right before adolescence sort of hit. Uh-huh. And so I real I think when I, I, I don't know if I would have made it like two years later because that you know, suddenly you're 13 or 14 and you, you know, everything, you know, goes haywire up
0: here, you know, so. When I was in college uh, and I was, you know, in i was making movies and that sort of thing i had had a theater background and i had acted quite a bit and so i would um i would often act in my own films and it wasn't even really because like well i need to i need to play the part it wasn't even that it was just like it's one less thing to worry about like, <laughs> i don't have to worry about i know what i want so i'll just do that can i play all the parts like it just there's something to be said for ultimate control
2: <laughs> yeah, I actually, actually, yeah, it's sort of like now I have started to like actually go back to that and go, I, I want to play all three parts in that, <laughs> you know, you start to think that way. And, and it is that it is that sort of recapturing of that uh, that that original impulse. But then, yeah, so I look back on that and, you know, and and so it's always, uh, you know, and. And today I was writing and tomorrow we're doing this like sort of a funnier die thing about Halloween. And we're trying to just make it this week, really, just really sort of quick, almost like a 48, 72 hour, our own 72 hour film right. festival or whatever. But, you know, the fact that that's what, I'm still doing that, you know, yeah. and this like long time after that, you know, is it's a blessing. I'm very, very lucky that I still have. So that I still have clarity about what I think what I'm most passionate about and my identity. And you know, so did you go to film school? No, I did not. No, I went to the university of Kansas, which was sort of weird. I ended up in, in Kansas and, you know, uh, just, I'm
1: a, I'm a Mizzou guy. Okay. Very good. So
2: <laughs> we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. No, um, no, I, uh, yeah, I went to Kansas and, um, you know, drank a lot and, you know, did drugs and, and, uh, <laughs> you know but i wrote a lot of poetry and uh, kept writing i mean i was always writing and then after college i wrote a play and and started going that way but even that even in college i mean i didn't have any money didn't have a car so i didn't even i really that was probably the time in my life where i went to like few the fewest movies but in the back of, you know i was always thinking that i was headed toward writing movies cuz i i knew that that was probably the that was probably the the only way you actually make any money writing stories. Uh, well, there's other ways, obviously. It's but. funny
1: you mention that because I went, we both went to the same film school, uh, Columbia College, Chicago, which is um, – I would recommend going to that school, especially if you want to make movies literally in the physical sense. It's almost like a trade school. Yeah, it's not all theory. Yeah, and um, – but a lot of people would say it's like it's funny I'm in film school, and I'm watching fewer movies than I ever have before, and that wasn't true for me. I was watching lots of movies then, and I think that's probably when I should have known that I was more comfortable on the analytical side than on the production side yeah that, that was uh but that is that is a common experience for people who uh end up being good at making movies <laughs> is to not watch as many yeah, yeah You're too yeah. busy making them
2: yeah i mean i I mean I try now to like you know I'm trying to you know, I, I try to watch a movie a day. I mean, I try to, like, think about, you know, and some days it's just, you know, it isn't going to happen. But I do try and I have started to think that way and look at, like, okay, what's this movie? And I'm definitely not, I do not have, you know, and I feel like that took a long time for me to even start thinking about, like, oh, I should go see that movie. And, you know, I moved to L.A. around in 97, so 16 years ago. And I feel lucky because, I I mean, that's one of the things I tell people, you know, Los Angeles provides, like New York, but specifically L.A. I mean, the people, not only the the movies that you get to see on the screen here – but I've also seen so many Q and A's with people yeah. that are now gone. You know, like I mean, Charlton Heston, Janet Lee, after Touch of Evil, and and you know, whatever John Alonzo, he does the DP on
1: China, Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. And saw we him, did a whole episode on him.
2: Yeah, and it's like I, you know, I saw him and he was great, and then you know, and then he died. You know, yeah. like a like a year or two after that, I saw. The thirtieth anniversary of of the Chinatown screening at the Academy I had Nicholson in. They all were up there, you know, except for the guy who can't, you know, be in this country, you know. Right. Yeah. But yeah. um. But basically, it was you know. So stuff like that
1: is so rewarding, and, and it is and, great living yeah. here where where. Uh, my favorite story that relates to that is that I went to at the Egyptian. It was like Halloween weekend, like six years ago. They did a triple feature of like lesser known Hammer horror films. And uh Joe Dante happened to be in attendance. Like he wasn't scheduled to introduce the films, but he was there, and he was like, "Oh, you don't have anyone introducing these films? I know everything about them." So Joe Dante ended up being like hosting the the screening, That's even funny. though he wasn't. That's uh, great. On yeah my my, my favorite
2: my favorite like L A slash Egyptian theater story was um being at the original Godzilla, you know, and without the American like, Who is it? Is it Raymond Burr? Burr, Yeah. Yeah. He's not in it and it's got the incredible score that's not been removed and, and that was screening. It was, again, it was a restoration or something like that. And I sit next to this Japanese guy and he's very well built. And, and, uh, and then at the end of the movie, he, or like, maybe it was before and he was introduced and he came and sat next to me or it was the other way around, but it was the guy who played Godzilla Oh, wow. In the original movie, he was the stunt man, and he was he was like seventy four or something like that, but he was still you know cut very well. He had a nice suit on, and you know, handle like a minder with him. This younger Japanese woman was with him, and you know, but I was like, and then he sat down next to me, and I, I was like, I'm watching Godzilla with Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like I was like, I love you know Los Angeles. You can't you know yeah. you can't yeah. so it was great. <laughs>
1: Uh, So how did you start um, writing screenplays then?
2: Well, I, you know, what it was is I, um, you know, I wrote plays for quite a while and I was driving a cab in Chicago and I started writing, you know, it's the the kind of thing where I bought, you know, a screenwriting book. It was in the mid nineties before really the internet at all. And so there wasn't what we have now that people have at their, you know, fingertips to be able to learn about scripts or whatever. So, and I started a script and I kind of went all the way through it and I didn't really get to the end. And it was about like this black market organ donor thing. And it was just it was just sort of it wasn't connected personally to me. It was just sort of like me fumbling along with the format. And then I was a cab driver in Chicago and I you know wrote down a ton of ideas. And one of the ideas I saw a woman around a gas um pump she just looked strange. It wasn't like she was huffing the gas or anything, and but I just wrote down on a card, um, I think a yuppie guy starts huffing gas. And it was just this image in my head of like a guy in a suit suddenly starting to huff gas and everybody around him sort of going, what is going on? And um, that was like the mental image. And um, I uh, never knew how I was going to stop driving a cab. And I, and I sideswiped, uh, me and this limo sort of sideswiped each other at one point. And then I went back to the garage and I lied about the accident because I knew that I would my you know my insurance was going to go up or whatever, and that like that was the thing that sort of I was like I'm done, and I sort of <laughs> said I'm done with cab driving because it was like lying was the thing that sort of like me I was always like how am I ever going to get out of this cab and lying was the thing that was like I was like it's, it's over. And I basically stopped and my family sort of was like overjoyed that I stopped driving a cab. <laughs> and and uh and so that summer of 96, I had the idea about the um thing and I and I talked to a buddy and I sat down and 18 days later I'd written the first draft of Love Liza and I went home Um and that was really so that was sort of how it started was like this sort of a bottom in my sort of a bottom like a like a like a turning point where you say. What's gonna change and that was that that was the thing that took me from writing a lot of plays and like little little s- plays in 1x or whatever in sort of the Chicago theater world to and the, always in the back of my mind going screenplays, screenplays but that was that was when it was like okay you gotta you gotta actually like go for this mm-hmm. and that came out was love lies it was that you know just a very linear simple story about this guy and just it came out. And I went back to Rochester on a Labor Day weekend, and my brother was actually there. And um, it's very odd. It was just we were both there for Labor Day weekend. And I said, "God, you should read this." I wanted to show it to him because I was like, "I think I got something here. It's kind of cool." He read it, and he was like, "I, I kind of want to play this guy." Uh-huh. And I don't. I'd written it sort of thinking like I could maybe play him myself, mm-hmm. but it was only it was only a device to um, actually write the script. It wasn't really. I, I didn't really think, but I, it helped me to write it, thinking that I would play him.
0: And um, but my brother and it probably made the character a little better too. Like in my, I started acting before writing, and then I started writing because like I'm tired of playing characters i don't like <laughs> and just like i'll write the, these really juicy characters for myself and i'm like well, i like writing more than
2: acting yeah you definitely you know when you think about i mean i'm always in mean, shakespeare role like that because he was an actor and all his friends were actors he owned the theater company and so you just it's just it's clear that he was like i'll write you a good part <laughs> i know what like is not fun and what is fun and and um but yeah i, I showed it to phil and and um you know, people. It's funny because retro, retro. You know, you look back reflectively, and and people think, oh, whatever. But my brother, right. my brother hadn't shot Boogie Nights. I mean, Boogie Nights was going into production that fall, right? And and yeah. uh, he had not started doing that with Paul. I mean, he had done a small part in Sydney. Um, heart eight right. um, like a one scene thing with the giant mullet I yeah, believe exactly <laughs> and and then you know but then he you know Boogie Nights was that false so it was a long that attachment was Phil wasn't even right. like a well known character actor at that time it was just sort of like hey you know and um, so that's sort of like how it started rolling but once that happened it opened up and we showed it to Paul and Paul had history it's at, at the Sundance Lab and so he called Michelle Satter who runs still to this day runs the Sundance Development Lab, and um, and she uh, responded to the script, and it didn't get selected for the lab, but it started a relationship with with Sundance and, and with Michelle and and the lab, and the, just that awareness of the script, and um, yeah. So once that all that affirmation came in, and you know, and I I I mean, you know, Paul was. I mean, again, it was like he had made, you know, a movie and, mm-hmm. you know, but he wasn't, you know, Bo- Boogie Knights was, they were still, we hadn't, they hadn't shot any of it yet. um, But, but uh, I don't even know if I even talked to Paul that fall. It was just, he referred it to, um, to, to Sundance. But that all that stuff sort of got me going. I can do this, you know. Mm-hmm. And I also it was it was just that first it was that first real hit of delusion where, <laughs> where you were like, I'm just gonna go out to L.A. and so, and I'll be I'm gonna be a millionaire by February, or like April. You know, I'm just this is this is great. This is one thing after another. It's just you know, so your biggest problem uh- will be tax shelter. <laughs> exactly. So.
1: Um- Speaking of Sundance and speaking of, of the feeling of I can do it, I, I wonder, knowing now that you started writing it in 96, um, uh, I talked about how there's a there's a darkness to that film. But it, it's a very sort of confident, matter-of-fact darkness. It doesn't seem to be calling attention to itself. And I wonder if writing it in the wake after that wave of late 80s, early 90s Sundance films like Sex, Lies and Videotape and Reservoir Dogs and stuff had come out – uh, and had been a little more, uh, I, you know, outside of the Hollywood thing. Did that give you the confidence to write, like, uh, yeah, I can write about a yuppie you gas and there isn't going to be some problem about whether or not he's too li- like Yeah, enough. I
2: mean, I think I think I wrote it in such a vacuum of all that that I didn't I didn't actually think too much. I mean, it has a, it definitely has a certain, you know, it is. I guess it could probably be looked at as like. Whatever that Sundancey type of movie, you know, but um, the quirky, whatever. But I hope it's.
1: But that's what that's what I mean. Is it's not, you uh, know. it's not self conscious about that. It's, no, it's, I, I think, it, it no, I think no.
2: I was just like I was like I need to finish this story, and I'm gonna just show up every day and try and like, what does he do next? And it was very much like a process of that. And many of the special things that happened in the movie were things that it was just because I. You know, it's just there's many, many movies that have been sort of written under that sort of duress where you, you know, and then you can, you know, and then you're in other parts in your life and you don't have that sort of thing bearing down on you to says you need to finish this, like you need to write, you know, I can remember that first day writing like eight pages and it was, it was mostly description. And then the next, you know, or nine or 11 or whatever. And the next day it was like 13. And just, it was just like, I was like, you have to do this. And, and that was, you know, so I don't know. I think that's that purity about it or that sort of matter of fact, or that honesty about it. I think hopefully, I mean, there's certain moments maybe that, you know, you look back on it and you're like, Oh, well, that's not, but mostly, it was what would happen next. You know, what right. would he actually do? And that's where I think some of the humor came from. It was like, this is funny. Like that would
0: that would be what somebody might do in that situation. And um, well, and because and that's that's the thing is the the films that we're talking about that that tend to have kind of a, a quirk to them. It almost seems like the quirk comes first, and then they're like, all right, now how do we fit a character in? Whereas what you're talking about is something that starts from a character and in in admittedly kind of a humorous yet tragic situation and the quirk may result organically but it always starts from the character first which is why it doesn't seem so self-conscious uh i apologize i don't mean to uh, just be complimenting you all the time and that's not why i'm sure that's not why you showed up um but yeah so um and i i had a question um because you know you said you were you were raised watching movies but no more so than really anybody else um do you consider yourself as having been, like, influenced by certain writers or certain screenplays and say, like, if if I'm anything, it's I would like to be this? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, I,
2: I mean, I early days of HBO, we saw like a like love and death a million times yeah. and we saw meatballs a million times, <laughs> which I just saw like for the first time in a lot forever, like just like this summer or whenever it was. And it was like, wow! It's weird seeing a movie you haven't seen in like decades that you saw like fifty times, like a like that long ago. Uh-huh. Because you just you, re, it feels like you're being reminded of something that actually happened to you. You know, when I was watching Meatballs, <laughs> but but you know, so I don't know if that really any of that. You know, was anything I think any what did happen before I started writing screenplays is I read a lot of Shakespeare, and there was a lot, and plus there was a lot of you know I wrote plays mm-hmm. and so and there was, and I was also acting for a while early on. And I think all that sort of was really the things that sort of drove. You know, that's that, that I think I, I, I do think that, you know, it's like Shakespeare influenced me. But I do feel like the balance of how he like the thought I just considered quite a bit like how he as a writer created characters and how he related, how he found them all likable, even though there was villains like Lady Macbeth. Like he didn't really have judgment about her. He actually you know, they all wrote, you wrote everybody with empathy. And so that, that, I, I don't know if that helped me, you know, considering I didn't really bring my resentments into the movies. I always knew, and I think early on I read that you don't write, you don't write a movie out of revenge or something, <laughs> right. you don't write a character out of revenge. And, and I don't know, I mean, somebody, I don't know why that always stuck with me, but it also reflected on, on how I processed you know, my relationship with Shakespeare's work, because I I think everything since then has had that sort of judicious take on it, you know, where you just sort of like, this isn't really, it's not good or bad, <laughs> you know, like everybody's sort of, and I think that that definitely helped, you know, um, but it, I don't think it was, I don't know if there's, you know, I mean, now I think when I watched, when I first started to watch Fellini, I felt a freedom you know i I felt like when I got some early criticism on my work, some short films or whatever, and I felt a little like mm, and then you know and then i and then I'd watch you know then i you know I remember going to scene with Dolce Vita for the first time and and you know just the opening shot I was like you're going to be okay. Like I just I was like I was like there's room on this planet for you and you need to just trust your instincts and just right create whatever you want to create because that that is that's what we all should do, but it was just a yeah, that those are so I think it was once I got out there then it was more just an affirmation when I would watch work that uh, and watch the mistakes or the the movies that w- didn't really work out, and then also you know just reading about their experiences or hearing about their experiences on commentaries or essays about you know, what Coppola went through at certain times or, you know, what Hitchcock thought about process or, you know, or what was like for Fellini when he was his first day shooting and how really scared he was, you know, on that, you know, he describes being on a boat and taking the boat out to a, another boat where he it was the first shot he was going to do. And he said the boat on the boat ride out there, I became a director because uh-huh. he was so scared. But then when he got on that boat, he just he just was like, he started pointing and telling people where to go, and it was like the most natural thing. But, and that was, those are the kind of things that I think help, you know, and they end up becoming, in some way, influences or comforts or. So,
0: more by more, you're influenced more by people's processes than like their specific works. I mean, it, it, influenced by their works insofar as they came out of this process. You know, approaching characters in a non condemning way and that sort of thing. Okay, that's that, that's yeah, uh,
2: you know, absolutely. I mean, or, or just or just knowing that or seeing their work and 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 saying, okay, that came because they allowed themselves to do A, B, and C and they didn't shy away. And that's also the other ways. I mean, I'm able to look at work and say, You know, you didn't keep your butt in the chair long enough to figure out how to end this movie. And this is why this is like, you know, a mess or this is why this isn't satisfying or this is why this is implausible. And, you know, it it, it also because I've, you know, because of the screenplay competition, I inadvertently have read so many screenplays that that also – you know, washed over me the whole idea of like, how is this, when is this working? When is this not working? And, um, and then seeing that evidenced in, in movies, you know, movies made by great filmmakers. It's just, it's just not, you know, it's ultimately not very easy to make a great film, you know? Well,
1: that's a good segue into the screenplay competition, Blue Cat, Talk about how that came about, and
2: well, I mean, I moved to L.A. and it was really just a lark of an idea. And I, some, you know, I, I you know, I don't think a week goes by. I go, why did I start the, you know, the competition? Because it, it really is a lot of work, but it's so gratifying. But I basically started it. You know, I don't. It was so long ago. It was like before, like you know, I mean, everything we took in was like, you know, we, people sent us hard copies. So there's all these trees being destroyed, you know, <laughs> in the late nineties, you know, and, um, and, you know, and that's where it started was just this, you know, it got started and, and I started to judge it and, and uh, it grew from there and it, it grew through our mistakes and, you know, um, our relationship with our entrance and what they wanted. And, and, uh, but it, it ended up being like, I mean, it's, it's been huge for me. It feels like, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes I think about how, you know, the French new wave, you know, they were all writing essays and being reporters and then they were like, Hey, why don't we, you know, or whatever. (laughs) I want to make a film now. And, and, you know, that kind of, I mean, I was already always writing through that period, but the, but the, but the, how that's changed me. I mean, not only have I had to look at something and say, is this working or not? And, and, and say this wins or this doesn't, but I've also, you know, taught screenwriting because I eventually got to the place where I was like, I think I can, might be able to help people in Mm -hmm. this way and and teach. And that being able to have, having to tell somebody why something's working and what's not and what the reason is, all that stuff changed how I worked. I mean, I taught, I was an adjunct at USC for a couple of years before I had to leave um, to, to pursue a project, a directing project. But, you know, I remember starting off there and, and, and just that, and like really growing, growing as a writer, because I came in like, oh, you know, you never do this. This is, you know, this isn't work. This isn't work. And this is the way. And then I, and then I was exposed to all this other stuff and I realized, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get to where you need to go. And, and, um, so I I thought when I actually started to teach I was like I'm not you know my career's over or something or you know, like you can't you know whatever but ironically it 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 gave me everything it actually sort of it thr- thrust me forward in my career because mm-hmm. of the teaching and um because of you know I I had to understand why things worked and I think I think my writing everything improved you know and um you know, it's hard because, you you know, when you, you know, as you guys know, you, if you think so much about how a film works, you can't help but go into a movie and you always have that f- third rail in your brain going. But, uh, you know, and it's tough sometimes when you walk out of a movie and and, you know, sort of how it could how the writer could have showed up mm-hmm. a little bit more and it would have made the movie even stronger and other people are like, wow, that was awesome. And, you know, you, you kind of go, well, you know, I have a couple notes, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, so it, it it the screenplay competition has been, you know, it's been incredible for me personally. But it's also, you know, it's just it's it's so there's nothing like I mean, it it's similar to, you know, the experience you have when you. You know, you deliver a a film to an audience when you are able to tell an amateur screenwriter that they've won Blue Cat and they've won $15,000, you know, I mean, and then and then to go to theaters and see movies written by the people that you at one point talked to when they were just grinding yeah. away like everybody else. What His are some name- of the
1: examples? I know there's have been well, Aaron, a very Aaron, recent one. Well, the
2: Aaron Guzikowski is, is, you know, he wrote prisoners. It was the number one movie at the box office about a month ago. That's opening weekend, mm-hmm. right before the gravity sort of onslaught of gravity. And, um, you know, he was a finalist with us and, and we just talked to him, you know, like last week we did a blue cat, did an interview with him and he talked about how, how, um, you know, how screenplay competitions helped. And, in, 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 you know, and in, in, in that they gave them him feedback and they gave him structure to like finish stuff. And and I think I think the first thing he wrote was the thing that was the finalist, the first thing that he completed. And then he wrote something else after that and got a manager. And, you know, and then, you know, it's he's been working for quite a while. Prisoners mm-hmm. took a little while to get there. But, yeah, we had another guy who won Blue Cat a couple of years after Aaron and he a young Kim. And he wrote um, Rodham, which was the number four script on the blacklist last right. year It's probably the most um, highly publicized I mean, it was that kind of went everywhere because mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like everyone's like, oh, Hillary Clinton movie. And and he wrote a brilliant period script to talk about somebody who's just wanted to wrote what he wanted to write. But he wrote <laughs> a brilliant period script about about Hillary Clinton um, when before, you know, in the early 70s and and uh, before she sort of met Bill and and made a decision to to pursue a relationship with him and sort of was like a fork in the road, you know, in in her life. And, and that, that, um, that was like number four on the blacklist, which is this period political biography, you know? And, um, but he was, uh, wrote a beautiful script for us. And again, he was, it was, was, he had never won a thing. Yeah. And, uh, he's writing something on Stephen Hawking's now. And I think the guy who (laughs) drew, I think the, the, actually the, the guy who directed spectacular now, mm-hmm. the, spectacular or the spectacular, the now, spectacular, Now, yeah. he is directing Rodham, he's attached as the director. So they're, mm. they're gonna put that together. And guess Carrie Mulligan and on down has been, you know, but, oh. but those are the kind of things that, you know, it's just awesome. <laughs> you know, you can't help but be like, wow, that is really cool. Because at one point, you are able to not only give them recognition and say, Okay, here you are. And, you know, announce it on the, you know, publicize it, but also give them some money and, and that just affirms them. You know, it's like, you just know that when you give somebody a cash award or any kind of recognition like that, you, I know that you're telling them like, you know, what you're doing is the right, you're on the right path. Mm -hmm. And, and when you, when you see how that path get keeps going, you know, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty special. And um, how do people get involved? How do people enter? enter? Yeah, Yeah. well, we're we're accepting entries right now. We our final deadline is November fifteenth, and we're at you know basically if you Google screenplay contest, we're like you know number two or one on Google on the first page. So you're not gonna you know you'll find Blue Cap pretty easily. Um, and, you know, they can enter on and we, we accept features and shorts and uh, we everybody who enters gets written feedback, which has been our sort mm. of hallmark our tradition. We take great pains to hire strong readers who can write up um, some written feedback. So everybody who enters gets written feedback as a part of submission. And so people love that. That's sort of, you know, the blue cat, our blue cat tradition, you know, it's been going on for a very, very long time. And um, people enter to get that feedback because a lot of places, it's very difficult for them to get feedback where they are, and then they're where they live or whatever. And um, so people have people come back to us for that. And, and then people submit to try and win and, and, and get that, and get that attention to the industry and get that help that they're looking for to further their careers. But, um, you know, so yeah, so it's, it's, you know, if you have a script ready, if you're not, if you feel like you're not, I mean, I always tell people, you know, if, if you're not ready, you know, and you know, you need to keep working on your script as long as you are continuing to can, continuing to work on your script and, and, you know, you don't have to send it to us. (laughs) You can send it to, you can send it to Nichols or, you know, or Sundance or Austin in the spring or whatever, you know, you, you, you could send it to another competition, you know, it's, you know, just, it's just, you know, use, use the world of, of good contests and good screenplay competitions to further yourself and find your way as a writer and, and whether or not you're, you know, this is what you're supposed to do or not or whatever. But, um, you know, that's, you know, so it's it's hopefully, you know, Blue Cat when we're of service, um, you know, that's that benefit. You know, it's been a great benefit to me, but, you know, it's it's very gratifying because people people do get a lot of help from us. And, and uh, you know, so it's it's we're very
0: rewarding. Now, I do want to uh, ask you about, uh, you know, the flip side of, of that coin. Um, I uh, had a little bit of a little bit of experience uh, working as a script reader for a producer and um, you know, uh, you were talking about how exciting it is and how fulfilling it is to to be able to tell someone you're doing the right thing here. Well, not everybody who wants to be a writer is doing the right thing, and I don't mean to be glib, but I mean I've I read some scripts. So I was just like, this is th- this is astounding <laughs> to me that this person had this idea like there are people there are like good writers who have a hard time finishing a script and and some great scripts that never get finished this person had an idea where it's basically animal house but all the characters are dogs (laughs) (laughs) hang on so it's like oh okay so it's like for kids no they still swear and they still like it's a rated R it's animal house but all the characters are dogs (laughs) it's like this is and I read through it I'm like I'm gonna accept it for what it is, but in my little comments, where they ask, "Hey, what audience do you think this would be ideal for?" It's like, nobody, this is for nobody,
2: yeah, I'm not um, sure where <laughs> that would be interesting somehow, I want to see that movie, but I, I don't know maybe audience of me you know that's, a, that's and then about then I, it.
1: was that, is this the same one where there was uh, they, the the script kept going back To the visual gag Of a giant green alligator penis No that was the, That was a different one That was a, that <laughs> We was talked a, about that On the show before Yeah that
0: was a surf comedy David um, <laughs> So uh, No it's um, And that's the thing is So I, I make jokes about this But I But I Even as I was writing Negative stuff I was like This person Who wrote this And submitted it Undoubtedly They went through Draft after draft After draft They put in more effort Than I put into Almost anything Um <laughs> And this is where, and now me, I, at the time I was just an intern, then some intern comes along and says, this is not good. And then I, that's the end of it. And I felt bad. I mean, as bad as the script was, I felt bad giving negative remarks. And then, of course, uh, one guy sent me a script and said, hey, uh, my dad wrote this. Oh. Like the producer's father wrote this. Oh. And I said, do you really. Maybe it's OK. All right. Do you want how honest do you want me to be? He goes, be as honest as you want? I was like, all right. So I read it. Thankfully, it was like a like a B minus C plus area. <laughs> so it's like, all right, I'll focus on some positives, but I'll bring up some negatives as well. But when I read that, I was like, well, what are you what are you setting me up to do aside from get fired? <laughs> and uh, but that's the thing is. So while I while I do make jokes about it, it is sad to me at times. And so have you experienced that at all? I'm sure you've read your fair share of not great scripts.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I've many, 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 um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that sort of you brought up that are, that, you know, that are interesting that people, um, you know, the interns interns are the gatekeepers of Hollywood, which is the irony that, you know, you've got basically oftentimes, you know, interns that are not even out of college, um, Twenty-year-old covering scripts and, and all all summer long or whatever all semester long, and uh, so that's always that's always to me is always troubling. It's like it's like we don't really have a you know like the lawyers in california have to pass the california bar but there really isn't like a movie bar <laughs> you know like there isn't like a filmmaking bar association where it says you know you've got to like take this test to sort of let us know that you understand what you know what what conflict is derived from and what kind of importance it, it plays in, you know, the audience experience emotionally or what, you know, anything like that. I mean, you know, and so it's a, it's very, very crazy, but yeah, I mean, I, I, um, you know, and the other thing I, you know, I tell people, it's like, there's a lot of people who play golf and And then there's people that play in the masters (laughs) and then there's people that win the masters and there's people that come in last in the masters. Uh And, you know, it's the same thing with screenwriting. I mean, it's very, very difficult. I mean, it's always the last thing. I mean, if you're watching, you know, grad, you know, you guys went to film school, you been at those screenings or at the end of the year where all the kids are screening their films and and yeah. you know and you can be like that actor's good you know or the cinematography's good right. the storyboard's good but what's the thing that always ends up being it's like the thing that breaks the camel's yeah is yeah. the script. It's, it's like the story it's, is like it's it's not there. It's not been developed. So it's very so that always says to me that if we get to the end of the day and people can and really in LA in the studio system, I mean we don't have a problem with art direction, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. I mean, there's there's geniuses there's, and people can score films, and we have a brilliant actors. We're not like where are all the good actors? I mean, we have we have some really gifted people, you know. Michael Fassbender, Javier Bardem, Meryl Streep, Carrie Mulligan, you know, all the way down the line. They they you know whatever they're there. But the writing is the thing that is so, it seems to be the most difficult thing. So, yes, absolutely. And I think, I think us sort of embracing that and not, and saying this is difficult because we don't really say, God, we don't have a lot of people that can like slam the, like, can shoot like Kobe Bryant. Well, Mm No one's gonna be like maybe like Kobe, but like just the NBA level. It's like it's like there's not a lot of people that are actually gonna get there and actually do things that we watch and we go. I remember they asked on Woody Allen on some interview. It's on YouTube. Like it's a great interview. And one of the questions they asked him was, "Would you give up watching movies if you had no more time or sports?" And he was like, "Oh, I would definitely give up watching movies, (laughs) and I would watch. I would never want to give up watching the Knicks, you know, because he says the drama." There is still more, you know, because it's all truthful. It's really much the best going against the best. And so there is this there is this thing with screenwriting that, you know, I think us embracing that it's really difficult to be to play in the NBA, <laughs> to play in the NFL or to hit a major league fat to, to get a hit off a of Kershaw or whatever. You right. know, it, it's just difficult and and that's and and I think there's something taken for granted about really every area of craft. I mean it's visual effects or whatever, but um but writing is just it's just difficult to actually get it all there. Or get to get everything there because that's where the emotional story has to, that's where the, the, the emotional core of the story ha- Takes place. That that's where the creation of it takes place. The birthing of that takes place with the with the writing of the screenplay, and that birth is painful. Once it's made, then the art and the actors can come in and be like, "Okay, this is what it is," and they can let's 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 do it. You know, but the actual creation and where that actually comes from from the author is is it's a painful process to get there, and I think that's why. It ends up we end up pulling short in so many of these pictures. We go what? like, how how did that? Like, what is that? And and figure even just figuring out just plausible things about a heist movie or an action movie. You're like, wait a minute, that would never happen. Mm-hmm. They would just you know this person would get blown away there, and they're not strong enough. And why did they suddenly get so you know dumb right there to let that happen? Or that villain? Why did that villain just do something that's you know all that stuff create is it creates. It's so difficult for writers, you know, and um, so, yes, I totally agree that like stuff (laughs) is so agonizing. It's very agonizing to listen to or to read and to then finally see produced. It's very frustrating and, and, you know, as we all are. But I think that we have to start with sort of a place to say, you know, this is really difficult. And then what are we going to do about it? And how are we going to foster an attitude in the industry or amongst ourselves and amongst other filmmakers and say, why don't we respect this a little bit more? If it's this hard, then why don't we just take another three or four months to like work on the script? Why why are we in such a big hurry to get to craft service, you know, or whatever? (laughs) And like, you know, and then get to the editing room and be like, what is this? You know, and it's like, I know it's fun to be, you know, to be, shooting and you know writing so lonely and it's so difficult there's nobody around and you know um but the fact is is that if we, like so that's what i think about it. it's like i want to i understand because of my vantage point and because you know i've read scripts too that you know i need to i need to i need to be patient you know and i don't think there's a lot of patience with it and ultimately a lot of respect for how difficult it is you know so
0: yeah there's a. Uh... So, okay, so listeners uh, know that. So I'm uh, I'm a, a Christian that is regularly uh, frustrated, if not infuriated, by uh, the Christian film industry um, because it's terrible. And pretty much every aspect is terrible. But I watched uh, – okay, so my mom sent me a copy of uh, the movie Fireproof, uh, which I watched, and it is not good. Uh, and then <laughs> because I have another podcast that talks about films from a, a Christian point of view as well as an artistic one, I was like, well – this the next guy is the the next movie by the guy it's it's called courageous i was like it's it's gonna make a lot of money because the christian audience wants to go see it so i'll go see it and i'll talk about it so i went and saw it and i was like what the hell happened between this and fireproof this guy like learned how to shoot an action sequence like learned what editing is and i was like the acting is still not good but like (laughs) it's just like why is uh, that just didn't non, get the right non, people non professionals. Yeah. Um. Not to imply that a non professional is always going to be bad, but like, eh. yeah. But the and first, first
1: fireproof. I I haven't seen any of these, but that has Kurt Cameron, who's a professional actor, right? He's
0: professional, but at the same time, he's also acting for an audience that is completely undiscerning and is not going to, de- uh, not going to demand quality. But anyway, right. Um. So courageous, still not a good movie, but from film make, filmmaking technique, I was like, "Man, this is leaps and bounds ahead." I'm interested to see what the next guy, what what he does next. But then I was like, "But this script is still terrible. That has made no advancement at all." And that's, and it bec- and it comes from this place that bothers me, and it doesn't have to just be in the Christian world. I think this is the general attitude of, "Well, anybody can do that. Anybody can. I mean, that's easy." You know, you just sit down, you put some words on paper, and uh, problem solved. You
1: tell <laughs> like, the story like, you uh, want to tell. Terry Lindo says, and get shorty, and you bring somebody else in to add in all the commas and shit. <laughs> yeah, and you write <laughs> fade out the end. <laughs> right.
2: I mean, it's 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 definitely you know it's, it's definitely a mess, and unfortunately, you know, many movies that are poorly written don't make a profit. You know, and sometimes they really you know. F- financiers production companies studios they take a real bath when things aren't and so there is this insistence i still think that the marketplace still drives a lot of a lot of script development people want better scripts because it can be very painful to like to have a lone ranger experience for like a a studio because they're like what happened like how did this happen and they you know and the fact is is that sometimes they're able to get away with it and and uh and and it will work but you know fortunately you know many times i think we can generalize and say that when 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 the script is not there movies make less money and 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 if the day that changes you know completely uh we're going to be in trouble but the fact is that would make that would mean people want something different from story and that that's just hasn't changed for thousands of years so it would be it's just not going to happen it's sort of like You know the oh people aren't going to go to the movie theaters anymore because of cable or you know there's always the death of something going to happen but it's the fact is is that if something's compelling something's compelling and if it's like if it's on a if it's in a YouTube video and somebody's watching it on their phone and it's compelling and it's and it's eliciting emotion if it's just a, a series of pictures on Reddit and it's eliciting emotion you know that's you know it's just that's that's still that's still the currency of, of people, you know, and, and, and that's what they want um, from, from media content, from story, from motion pictures. And so all that stuff is like, you know, and so ultimately it's still going to drive the bottom line. And so we still, so the fight for good stories is still going to be, you know, it's not a, it's going to happen and it, and it's always going to prevail. I mean, I, I mean, it still does. Obviously, we have exceptions that happen. Oh, this person's opening it. This is a franchise. It's got a brand. The, the book, everybody liked the book. You know, I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey is going to probably make a profit. Uh-huh. <laughs> you but know, Charlie
0: Hunnam just dropped out. How could it possibly do well? <laughs> so,
1: yeah. And yeah. That's, and multinational and, film star, Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> I, mean, hey, I like Charlie Hunnam. Pacific but. Rim. Uh, but uh, and that's uh, the
0: thing is is I there are a lot of the a, a lot of the specifics of the script for Avatar I do not care for but as far as the story in general and and as a result I myself didn't care for the film but, I, I love it and yeah. he loves it uh, but that's the thing is like the story itself is one that is to audiences very satisfying and there is tremendous power in that type of story um, you know like in a an oppressed minority that is just trying to you know make their way in the world. And then these oppressors come along. Like there's inherent power there. And I think the dialogue, I still
1: is not- think you're, I know this isn't the point. I still think you're focusing on the wrong parts of that story. The things that well, to I'm me, focusing on the dialogue and characters, but it's the, the, no. I, I no, got the, it. The story, <laughs> the, the story of Avatar that, that I think makes it a successful movie is about this broken guy finding himself and tapping into no matter what's happened in his life him losing uh, his brother and his losing, losing the use of his, of his legs. There's still, He's still human. He's still primal. He's still alive, and he can still tap into that. And that, to me, that's what the story of was. Avatar he bothered is about. by the
0: loss of his brother. I got none of that. <laughs> is that something he had to over overcome? Sorry, I didn't mean for that to happen in front of you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, this is Do you yeah, like, that, you no, like no, Avatar?
2: No, there was definitely. I mean, no, it was. I mean, in terms of in terms of like, yeah, the the, the freshness of the story and the the you know the tautness of the emotionals the emotionals spine of that of that story it was it was yeah it was pretty general and heavy-handed and very broad strokey but but yeah but i i think he did the same thing with titanic and he had he had a stronger i think the act the connection between the two actors and titanic was stronger i think yeah. though they're 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 both stronger actors are still who they are today and and uh they're 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 they can you know you know they're special and but but yeah but that you know the the undying love story getting together and everything getting past a lot of obstacles and you know avatar was you know was it was you know it was it worked on it and what it was it, i don't it's not a classic but maybe in terms of you know just visual effects and and how it was received at the time but i think you know going forward it's just going to be you know something that you know we looked on as like oh okay you know that but yeah the story
0: was you know it was pretty i know, pr- pretty to, familiar i'm fascinated <laughs> what he's going to do with a sequel and two of them right yeah. he's making two, or two or three
1: of them he's yeah, yeah. Some, however yeah. Yeah. yeah well
2: it's good it's like he needs to make more films and just you know it's it's he definitely does not he definitely understands you know just you know a, an arc in the way that like yeah. you know the people right. that make yeah. uh um what are the dance movies i always go see them what are they step up <laughs> yeah step up they I, I've they, never seen any of them. oh yeah they i mean you know step up fast and furious i mean you know i love those franchises because those producers know what you know they know what a protagonist is they know what a hero they know what a conflict is they know okay they they have a problem they need to overcome it they want to be together you know i mean those sort of simple things that they don't get lost in and they just lay those out and and that's why there's those are franchises i mean you know fast and furious is is very much about all these relationships and all this, the family and how they are. And, mm-hmm. and they always have like these impossible situations that they have to overcome. And, you know, and that's why people keep coming back. It's like, we know who this character is. Oh, he used to be with her and, you know, and all that stuff. And that's, I mean, you know, how many movies they made. And it's like, it's it's really because they just make car crashes, right? No. It's because there's these relationships and they always have to kind of get, over, get past some huge, you know, problem or whatever. And the fact that they're able to the like know what that is, and Cameron knows what that is. Uh-huh. He knows that in Titanic and Avatar, he's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta have two compelling people that we want, you know, and 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 they fight and they have problems. They come from and different
0: I, worlds, yeah, they come from yeah.
2: different worlds and they overcome it. All these values that people want to believe exist in the universe. You know, they want to believe that love. That love is forever, that there is a soulmate for me and that we can fight. I can fight with pre- the people that I love and we can make up and forgive. We can get past problems. All those things are affirmed. And Cameron's put that all. You watch Titanic and it's like they've got a big problem on their hand that they're facing. You know, they're, <laughs> they're on a boat that's sinking, you know, and Avatar. I mean, it was, you know, that, that girl that she's always you know, angry with him for like the first half of the movie. Right. <laughs> right yeah. but she's always like, get away. She's, she thinks she's disgusting. And then, and it's really the moment when they come together at the end, there's that moment in the trailer or what is it? There's some moment where she, I see you or what? what is
1: oh, it? right, right. Yeah, you know, that, like that, that,
2: that moved me. I mean, it was like, I was sort of, I didn't really want to tell anybody it was moving me, but cause I was <laughs> like, this is really, but he got to me in that very simple, way he know he knew how to do the arithmetic for that for the emotional arithmetic for that and um yeah so what well, do I, you,
1: okay, uh, you go ahead uh, what do you look for in a movie uh basically other than 12 years a slave which we talked about beforehand is your favorite movie of all some, time now. it's a masterpiece <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your favorite movies and why are they your favorite
2: um wow uh that's heavy Um, Well, I just thought a third man, you know, because I just saw that Joseph Cotton stuff with too much Johnson. Um, And, uh, you know, I love the third man because it's it's uh, I mean, it's just a masterpiece of writing. It's so complex and everything else. And I just love it. I love um, contempt. Yeah. You know, um, I think, I mean, I, I just always, I always love that movie, um, because again, it was very, very different in its writing. It was something the simple. There was something simple about it. And, and I could just watch that. And I, I think I liked it just because I used to play it in the background when I was writing, when I was early on. And I, for, I, I forget about that, but that was really why I grew attached to that movie because I always had it in the background, and it was French and so I, it, was, it was in the background I wasn't able to look at the subtitles. So it was always this French in the background <laughs> but but i love I love that I love Chinatown and yeah. you know for the obvious reasons, and it's just it is it is i mean these are the, these are the things that I just look at in, in sort of awe in terms of as a writer and all the things that mm-hmm. you that i 'm always telling you know that asking of myself and asking of other people you know just the way X. Exposition is laid out. All the all the sort of nuts and bolts of of a good screenplay, and you know, and then everything else that happens in Chinatown, and, you know, is so lovable. I love "It's a Wonderful Life." You know, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, I think it's an, a masterpiece. I think it's you know, there's a re. It's just it's incredible. It's a it's a it's sort of a sort of a it's sort of a bold movie. It's hard because we think about. You know, running through the streets, and I love it, but you don't forget that he, you know, how. Jimmy Stewart like grabs his uncle and is just like she wants to kill him. Yeah, and yeah. It's you, such a you, feel good movie. And so do you, by but, the way, when you
1: when you watch it. But people it. forget that it's a movie that starts with a guy who wants to kill himself. Yeah, it's a
2: it's about a suicide.
1: Right. You know, it's a, it's a movie
2: about a about the angel, and and you know, it's just there's so many things, and you know that I you know, so I love that movie, and I and I like how it uh, how it um, how it behaves, and and there's so many things in there again, you know, the, the structure and how it, it how it leads itself to this emotional payoff that, you know, it's often called the most inspiring movie of all time. And, you know, so any any writer you know looking at that any filmmaker looking at a movie like that and and saying well how did that happen like why do we think that and like what actually how is it set up so that it's like that so that at the beginning the first scene is when you know his brother almost drowns and then Mm the last the last person that shows up you know with the toast and the money is his brother you know and just everything coming full circle to that you know the richest man in town and um so, yeah, so what I mean what what other movies I love Animal House? you know, you brought up
0: Animal <laughs> House earlier, but I actually again, another I can think m- of only one flaw with that film. It's not about human dogs. characters, <laughs> you get dogs in there, and I'm on board, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Animal House, everyone always goes, what, but if you watch Animal House as a it, just watch it again as a filmmaker, a screenwriter, storyteller again, the same thing, all these things it's like. Why is it so satisfying? Why is that movie so satisfying? And it's the same same principles as, as, you know, as why, you know, something like a Hoosiers operates under or whatever, any kind of thing like that. So,
1: yeah, so, yeah,
2: those are a couple of them that I love, you know. So
1: here's – I love that Animal House, by the way, has – uh, like essentially a musical sequence in the middle of it with the the shout. <laughs> See, I, I love that. Like, I yeah. wish more. Like, I wish like the Hangover or something. Like, uh, like I, wish, I wish John Landis directed more. Like, because he's kind of insane. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I. Uh, I mean, I people Luke. who have worked with him. He does. He is apparently very intense. Uh, uh, you know what? I'm okay with that. If it we comes I'm, through on the screen. I'm a huge fan of. Um, as we talked about in our last episode, American Werewolf in London yeah. is uh, probably one of the. My favorite movie, of all, movies of all time. Even though I, I, I only saw it for the first time very recently. American they just, World screened London. they uh, just screened it. Like they screened it. They screened it, and I was out of town this past weekend. They yep. screened it at the cemetery oh. at the night of a full moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, so awesome. Yeah, Senispia, that's I, I,
2: was it? Yeah, I yeah. Cenobitis. Yeah, yeah.
0: It, uh, yeah, Um Yeah, and of course, the Blues Brothers is just batshit crazy <laughs> in the best I, I haven't big seen that in a long time. That would be a good one to I've, reset. I was recently thinking about, like, the movies that I've seen most. And, of course, Jaws by is far and away the movie I've seen more than anything else. Blues Brothers is probably not second, but it's up there. I've seen it, I'm going to say, like, 20 times. <laughs> like, and it just, I just, I watched a lot when I was, like, uh, in high school. Just for some reason, just blew me away. But, um, so uh, I know that we have to wrap up. We should up, wrap up soon, yeah. But uh, one thing that I did want to say, and, uh... Hopefully this doesn't sound like too much of a dig. Uh, is that um, I'm, I'm
1: one okay. thing? That,
0: one thing that I and me, huh? A dig at me? Well, everything's kind of a dig <laughs> at you. But um, no, Gordy. What I like is that uh, That's
1: I don't the think underlying will they or won't they tension of this podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: um, but uh, just the uh, you know you run a uh, screenplay competition. And lest anybody go into it thinking that you are some kind of snob and that you only demand you demand movies of a certain kind, like we've run the gamut here. We've got contempt and the Fast and the Furious, the whole franchise, every single. Even I've Tokyo seen every trip. Fast and Furious.
2: <laughs> I'll go see one tomorrow. I mean, I love
0: that franchise. So you know, if you if you uh, if you're reluctant to submit your script, thinking, well, you know, they're just snobby. They won't like my mainstream fare. They will like it. It'll be fine. So, yeah, we take everything.
1: So, uh well, um thank you for being here. This has been Absolutely it's uh, been fun. It has been fun. Um you can uh, the listeners can find us at battleshippretention.com. That's where you find all our uh, reviews of both theatrical and home video releases as well as links to this show and um uh, all the other shows. Uh and Tyler's trying to show me something I don't know what it is. The horror things. Oh yeah, Just so you can find our listeners. you guys voted for top fifty horror movies. You can find those on the website. Uh, you can email us, David at dot or Tyler at battleship pretension.com. You can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension or follow Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, at morethanonelesson.com. My other podcast is the TV podcast, Hey Watch This with Paul and David. Uh, this most recent episode, we talked about. Uh, the current season of Eastbound and Down in the premiere of the new sketch comedy series on IFC, The Birthday Boys. So check that out. Uh, that can also be found at Um And Gordy, where can people find you and find out about Blue Cat on the internet?
2: Uh, we are at BlueCatScreenplay.com and our Twitter account is BlueCatPictures. We're on Facebook, Instagram, everywhere else. But you can find us at BlueCatScreenplay.com. We have a great newsletter, um, probably the best newsletter To put out by a screenplay contest. I don't know what that means, but the fact is, is every, every Tuesday, we have a lot of content, um, script downloads and, you know, so you can sign up for the newsletter at the website, but, um, there's a lot of stuff. I have like 40 or 50 videos where like people like tip videos where people ask me questions about screenwriting and I've Mm. made the videos and, you know, we pride ourselves that, you know, we're probably, you know, I don't know, not, maybe not, I don't know if it's factual completely, but I'm pretty sure that we're the only major competition where the judge founder actually taught. You can actually go and watch videos of him talking about screenwriting. So if you don't agree with me, you can just <laughs> not enter. <laughs> but if you think I'm like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But a lot of people actually watch the videos and go, OK, I feel like this guy sort of understands what I know about screenwriting. And so you know, there's a lot of resources on the site. Um, that you can get for free too. So that's Great. where we are.com. De- oh, yeah.
0: Deadline is November Deadline
2: is November fifteenth at midnight, and that's the final deadline. And Is that um,
1: midnight Pacific? Yes. And we, uh, we it's the select, only time zone that matters, Dave. Yes.
2: <laughs> P-S- PST. We um we accept features and shorts and uh yeah, so and every script gets feedback. So um yeah, November
1: fifteenth. Well, thanks again for doing this. This is a lot of fun absolutely all right thank you so much and thank thank you at home for listening we'll get you next time bye bye